Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Today's episode is brought to you by KeepKey, the easy, safe, and simple way to protect your Bitcoin, Ether, Litecoin, and many other digital assets. There's no time like the present to protect yourself from hackers, malware, and viruses. Visit KeepKey.com to order your secure hardware wallet today and use the code HUMANIST10 for a limited time 10% discount. And this episode is also sponsored by my patrons on Patreon. We got about 40 at about 700 bucks a month. And so I like to give different examples each episode for why they support. And here's what Craig says. He says, I'm a big fan of your podcast and especially like how you categorize each interview into the context of a specific type of system. I've noticed that proper market education about the technology and projects driving decentralized systems is still lacking, and I want to contribute to your efforts because I believe you're helping to change that. Woo! Thank you, Craig. Um, so today's episode is with Yanir Baryam. He's a complexity scientist and the founding president of the New England Complex Systems Institute. And... This is one of the first podcasts that I can remember where I essentially, and it's the start of a trend, where I ask people who are systems experts first and then kind of apply that lens to where the world is headed and, and to crypto and blockchain and those kinds of things. Um, so, yeah, we talk about how to think in systems, how he's thinking about that in the current environment, um, and then a bit about crypto as well. And kind of two interesting things um, pop to the top for me here. The first is uh, we chat about Ashby's law, which says that a essentially if you want to be a uh, if you want to live as a system, then you need to match your environmental complexity. So you can imagine an environment being super complex, and if there's a super complex environment, then you as a system or an individual or whatever needs to kind of match that complexity in order to survive. And that's actually, I think, a really good way to think about what's currently happening in society. Um, one way, the one that I often talk about, is massive converging exponential technological change, um, aka speed or exp- exponential. Um, the other version, though, is just like complexity, where it's like <laughs> we're just going to get beaten by the complexity of the system. Um, so we talk about Ashby's law, and we also apply it to crypto. Um, so you can think about the current regulation these days with the SEC and various places around the world and kind of the Howey test and does it apply and do things change as security over time. And really what we're going to need is we're going to need the regulation system to match the complexity of crypto. So you, it's not going to be some kind of top-down governmental you know, this blah, blah, blah thing. It's going to be, hey, there's going to be some organic, in-dimensional um, kind of regulatory, self-imposed regulatory set, and that will be what actually regulates crypto. Um, so, and you, that's essentially should be true as per Ashby's law. Um, so we talk about that. Um, and, and, and this also kind of links into, I'm currently in Buenos Aires right now for ETH Buenos Aires, woohoo. Um, and that also just makes me think of like how tech does this in general uh, around regulation. Um, for example, uh, Uber's down here, and then but the government didn't want it to happen, and the taxi lobby was really strong, and so the taxi lobby then got after about six months, the taxi lobby got the government to ban the use of credit cards with Uber, um, and then Uber just was like, oh, we'll just add a 
pay in cash function um and they did that um and and people kept using uber um so yeah th- th- these are these kind of things where you know tech and its speed and its complexity um is essentially can be faster than regulatory environments and those are examples of ashby's law um, the other thing we chat about is uh, essentially how to make robustness within a system. Um, and the things that we talk about are A, um, making sure that you have diversity within the system. Um, and this is something that I've talked about uh, on the show before, but haven't harped on too much recently. Um, but it's like, hey, it's pretty clear that you want kind of gender and socioeconomic and all these different kinds of diversity. Um, not only because like we want to make people happier and like generally giving them power and money is you know helps them with happiness but also because um from like a systems perspective that's how you get anti-fragility um if you had a bunch of reeses in the world or a bunch of anybody's and everybody was that same person then that would not be a good system um and so you kind of want that decentralization or that diversity um so we chat about that, we chat about another version of robustness, which is that, but applied to um, global and local scales, where you both want lots of local diversity, but also people thinking at the global level. And I've talked about this a bit. Um, I like to call it bimodalism, where it's, you kind of have a bimodal distribution of where people are um, spending their energy, their governance energy. Um, and then finally, we talk a little bit again about scale and how if you want and and a lot of um systems thinking comes down to scale and kind of multi-scale thinking and um this uh when you think about it you're like hey we want a bunch of different individuals to be different you're like that makes sense yeah you want that robustness but then if you think from the group level well then you say well we might actually want some groups um to be similar to other groups we might might want groups that are all the same and we might want groups that are also have a diverse set of individuals so you might want homogeneity and heterogeneity um at the group level um and with that then you're like oh well if you want homogeneity from the group perspective how would you achieve that from the individual level if you want everybody to be different um and that's just that's what what he calls paradoxically both this that's just like how systems thinking works it's different at different scales and finally the organization that yanir runs the new england complex systems institute um they're having an event uh their annual event uh july 22nd through 27th in boston um and it's going to be a great event if you're looking to get deeper into systems thinking uh folks from mit and harvard will be there and there are lots of interesting talks things like blockchain networks and information flow um things like how nations learn knowledge diffusion in society and the economy um you can go to necsi.edu to learn more here uh do you want to just 
do a little test, like say your name or something. Hi. Nice. Testing. One, two, three. Okay, we're gonna turn this on. Good. Okay. Beautiful. Let's rock and roll. Okay. Hello, everyone. My name is Reese Lindmark, and you're listening to another episode of Creating a Humanist Blockchain Future. And in this podcast, we take a systems thinking approach to doing good in the world. And today, we have, we're going to focus on a specific system scope, um, Series A macro systems, uh, where we ask the question, where are we as humanity headed? Uh, and I'm very happy to introduce Professor Yanir Baryam today. Uh, he's a complexity scientist and the founding president at the New England Complex Systems Institute. Um, so Yanir, thanks for being on the show and welcome. Pleasure. Excited to dive in. Um, because for me, I've done all of my... Uh, systems learning from the internet, from Google, uh, and today we have an actual expert in the room <laughs> to talk about it. Um, so, Yanir, I guess let's just stay at that framework level for a bit. Could you kind of um, give me and our listeners kind of an understanding of the frameworks that you use to kind of view complex system dynamics? Sure. So, the, the real starting point, the reason why complex systems matters in some sense, um, is not any particular mathematical tool, but really the fact that traditional calculus and statistics that are used for understanding scientific and many other f- uh, phenomena in the world um, are limited by their underlying assumptions. So calculus assumes smoothness, statistics assumes independence, and um, they are actually not true, right? They're useful approximations that have been extremely powerful in advancing our ability to understand the world and to make technological progress and all of those things, but ultimately their use limits the kinds of problems that we can uh, analyze uh, and uh, you know questions that we can answer about the world. So um, complex system science extends our ability to uh, understand many things by using a variety of mathematical frameworks that go beyond that. Got it. Yeah, so it's really coming from a perspective of, uh, and I'm reading uh, a systems theory of life or something right now, and yeah, it gives a similar perspective that you're giving, which is, hey, we've gone from uh, mechanistic kind of um, Newtonian-based frames of viewing the world and then we've kind of, as we've expanded and gone further deeper and deeper, we've said, oh man, Newtonian physics didn't quite work out in these various ways. And like, oh, we need to think about, uh, you know, quantum physics and those kinds of things. And it sounds like you're saying a similar thing, but from the calculus perspective, which assumes, uh, what did you say? It, it assumes the smoothness. And then the statistics, you say it assumes independence. independence. Great. Right. Tell me more about uh, what you mean by calculus assuming smoothness. I have an instinct, but I'm not quite sure. Well... Probably the best way to, to talk about this is to introduce the context where both calculus and statistics failed. Mm, great, perfect. Um, and in, in physics, it really failed with the study of phase transitions, mm-hmm. uh, the boiling of water or magnetic phase transitions. Both have phenomena that if you make calculus and statistics assumptions, um, you get the wrong answer, mm-hmm. and you make you know the the empirical observation of a paradox mm-hmm. where you have a a theory that gives you one answer, and the 
experiment gives you a different answer. Yeah. It's a really good motivation yeah. for trying to understand what the problem is. Um, but uh, the way to understand um, the failure of calculus, you would think is simple in phase transitions, that there is a discontinuity mm-hmm. when you go through a boiling point. The yeah. density shifts. But where you really see it is that if you go to high pressure and temperature, the boiling point discontinuity disappears. Mm-hmm. And above a certain pressure and temperature, it's kind of hard to tell the difference between superheated steam and superheated water. Mm-hmm. And uh, because it's sort of atoms that are either rolling or bouncing, but it's not that difference because they're squeezed, squeezed together. Okay, interesting. And mm-hmm. it turns out that the behavior of the discontinuity can be calculated exactly from a theory that was developed by Landau, and it's a power law with an exponent of a half. Oh, the only problem mm. is the experiment gives you about a third. Mm. Okay. <laughs> now, what turns out that what the problem is, and this was um, figured out by Ken Wilson in 1970, mm-hmm. the problem is that the material is not smooth. Mm-hmm. It has fluctuations from water-like to vapor-like mm-hmm. at all scales. And... And so there is a, a failure. It turns out not even of really the smoothness, but of the variables that you're using to describe the system. You can't use an average density to describe the system. So averaging fails, which mm-hmm. is the assumption of, of statistics. Yep. And uh, it happens in a context where you have this discontinuity of the mm. transition where calculus seems like it works, but doesn't. <laughs> Um, and so the, the solution turns out to think about the problems in terms of scale. Okay. And, um, and that turns out to be a challenging and fairly abstract and mathematically demanding thing to do. But when you do it, you actually get the right answer. Mm-hmm. And, but the, the really key insights are more than... Um, the mathematics. It's about understanding that if you don't think correctly about the problem, you actually get the variables wrong. Mm, Interesting. And because you get the variables wrong, you haven't described the system. And so now, the real challenge in talking about complex systems is realizing that you could have all kinds of quote emergent behaviors <laughs> with different variables that you need to put into the problem mm-hmm. and because you didn't put them into the problem statistics and calculus methods don't work mm-hmm. wow yeah fascinating i think that there's a or do you were going to say more yeah the uh those phase transitions and when things get really kind of tight and packed, they look kind of similar to each other. And then when you're talking about scale, I like that as, I like the term, I forget who said this, but um, that sometimes quantity can have a quality in and of itself where you're like, oh man, just the pure fact that it's big or whatever gives you a, you need to use a different set of assumptions. Um, Interesting. So the thing that I find interesting with some of this system dynamic stuff is that there is it's all based in this kind of mathematical and often kind of, you know, physical reality and modeling kind of our physical world. Um, but then people also use it to talk about um, kind of how we as humans, kind of like social systems as well. How much do these kind of methods apply to social systems? How much do you think about that side of things as well? So there are, first of all, multiple ways that that holds. Mm-hmm. And, um 
part of the opportunity that's available is to use the same kinds of ideas in the mathematical treatment of phase transitions mm -hmm. in understanding particular social challenges. Mm -hmm. And that has to do with the sort of the large scale issues. Mm -hmm. And we've used this to think about, you know, the financial crisis, which was a large scale phenomenon, or the Arab Spring. Mm -hmm. um, but you could also use it to study uh, other problems like ethnic violence and, and um, uh, uh, problems like how to understand the, the failure of the healthcare system mm -hmm. to deliver on its promises. As you get more involved in sort of the, let's call it the details, mm -hmm. um, the nature of the tool that you use changes. Mm -hmm. And what we use is something as, as, a, as, a, as a basic framework is something called the complexity profile, okay. which characterizes the information you need to describe a system as a function of scale. Mm -hmm. um, and the largest scale part is the part that, you know, sort of those are the global events and global crises. Um, I didn't mention pandemics, which is another area that we've studied. So you want to study the big things, things that policy is going to affect at the large scale. That's a tool you want to use. But if you want to study sort of organizations and how people are organized to do things, mm -hmm. it turns out that there is a fundamental principle that is really important, mm -hmm. and that's called Ashby's Law of Requisite mm -hmm. Variety. Okay. So Ashby's Law says that a system has to match the complexity of its environment in order to self-regulate, or you can mm -hmm. think about it as survive. Mm -hmm. So whether it's a biological organism mm -hmm. faced with the challenges of its existence, or whether it's a social system, um, the complexity of the system has to match the complexity of the environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like that is exactly, when I think about like most of my work today, it's like, oh man, we exist in a world where the environment is becoming much more complex and where you have 4 billion network smartphones and the cost to distribute, learn, create, and distribute value is close to zero. And so that, that means that we as humans kind of need to match our social system to be similar to, to do essentially one of these phase shifts um, to make sure it matches the technological system that we are creating. Is that, how does that resonate with you? So I agree with everything except the last words, Great. which are the technological system. And it's <laughs> not that I disagree with it. It's, it is. You're allowed to disagree if you want. <laughs> it is, but it is the, of course, the social system, which is technologically enabled. Mm -hmm. That is the real challenge, mm -hmm. right? And in some sense, it's kind of funny because we are the system, but we have to be, adapt ourselves to the system because we are both the system and we have to respond to the system, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and that's, you know, true whether we're talking about um, companies that are competing mm -hmm. and it's true we're talking about governance structures that are trying to cope with the, the environment that they're in. Um, and more generally, it's true about every type of social organization, mm -hmm. including the sort of elementary social organization, which is the individual. Mm -hmm. um, but um, there is a, this transition that you're talking about um, can be characterized by the fact that the organizations have undergone a change. Mm -hmm. um, 
take a look. I don't know if you've seen this. There's a paper called Complexity Rising okay. that I wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it describes how with increasing environmental complexity, the traditional organizational structure, mm-hmm. which was the dominant structure for a couple of thousand years at least, which is a hierarchy, fails yeah. because of the inadequacy of the central control to achieve a complexity which is larger than that at the collective scale of an individual. Yeah. Once that happens, you need some form of distributed organizational structure. Yeah. And what it really means is that we cannot, as individuals, regulate collective behaviors, but ultimately we cannot, as individuals, respond to the complexity of the environment in which we're located. Mm -hmm. And so it self-consistently requires us, if you will, to become collectives. And the, so for me, the real societal transformation, if you will, mm-hmm. is not the technology per se, but mm-hmm. it's the social transformation that is um, uh, requiring and uh, resulting from the fact that we're working together in collectives. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think, so, I mean, on that concept, it sounds like you're talking about something similar to the transition, kind of like um, a, uh, what is the, there's um, reinventing organizations and the transition to teal and uh, spiral dynamics and a transition to like a new kinds of bottom-up um, infrastructure and also this balance over time between individual and collective. And it seems like what you're saying here is that we need to start seeing ourselves, yeah, as if you're an individual operating within the system, that is not really going to work, but you need to start operating as a collective. Does that, are you saying something like, I've heard people talk about things where it's like, hey, we're all going to get, there's this book called Swarmwise, which is about like, hey, let's all get together as a group of between five and 500 people or whatever, solve this problem and then kind of disperse back into the ecosystem and then solve another problem. Is that... That's kind of what I imagine when you talk about these new kind of collectives coming and forming. Or does it have to be as... That one is kind of like a spontaneous version, but I guess it could exist in both. Um, so the, one of the uh, challenging aspects mm-hmm. of the distributed nature of distributed organizations is that unlike hierarchies, the structure is not universal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which means that I can't tell you what the distributed organizational structure looks like because which organizational structure you choose depends on the environmental challenge that it's solving. And and fundamentally that means that um, uh, we need to discover in some sense, I mean it's going to be created emergently, right? the structure that is the right structure, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, But along the way, we may face all kinds of challenges because we are suffering from the complexity at the same time as we're creating it. And that's quite apparent. It's apparent institutionally with Mm -hmm. the failures of, you know, public good organizations and and so on. But it's also, you know, in governance structures. And it's also apparent in the... Uh, severe stresses that individuals are facing mm-hmm. uh, in society today, whether it's dealing with um, their personal environment or yep. whether it's dealing with their professional environment. 
it's all very challenging. And it's um, intellectually, you might say, it's satisfying in that we're facing this challenge at all scales, <laughs> yes. which if you yes. remember was exactly the point about phase transitions in physics, because from the individual all the way up to the global scale, we're facing the same challenge. Yeah. The resolution yeah. is to figure out how people who are different um, and groups, again, groups all the way up to the global scale can mm -hmm. actually work together, yeah. um, respecting and appreciating the mm -hmm. um, diverse contributions that we all bring yeah. and having uh, the appropriate roles being played. Yeah. And that kind of discovery is the real challenge, as I see it, yeah. uh, that we're facing in society today. Yeah, I think there's a lot of good juiciness in there. Um, <laughs> I know for me personally, it is a fun intellectual thing where you get to have lots of complexity at all the levels. And so there's, there's lots of delicious learning to be had everywhere. <laughs> but uh, we also want to make sure it works out. <laughs> so I also think that these stresses on the individual are very true. Um, when I talk about some of these things and when, when people around me talk about these things where they say, hey, Climate change is going to be intense. There are, you know, biosecurity, nuclear security, uh, you know, artificial intelligence alignment, you know, different people talk about, you know, the self-termination as a possible externality of our actions these days. And that makes people feel in their gut like, oh, God, you know, like, what is going to happen there? And, and I think the key thing for everybody to know is like, look, there's all that stuff happening in the world and what you the most powerful way to start is you. there's a lot of self-work to do first in order to then have a, be kind of a good, what we'd call like a sovereign individual or something in the, um, while being unified with this new global organism. Uh, yeah. I, I appreciate um, you mentioned the importance of values mm -hmm. yeah. in this context. And really, um, on the positive side, um, this new collective uh, depends on the health of its individual members and therefore we hope and um, can strive for also that individual will be protected, shielded and supported by the system. And at the same time, we are still trying to emerge from the objectification of industrial machine mm -hmm. concepts of society that mm -hmm. uh, really um, uh, didn't uh, treat people well and trying to find the right ways that those will manifest in the new context yeah. is is not an easy uh, challenge mm -hmm. um, and dealing with the vulnerabilities of the system which is really core um, to, you know, let's say climate change, but everything else that is the, you know, potential crisis, well, the reason it arises is because of the interdependence. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we are globally interdependent. We've become this global organism. Yep. And now we have to face the fact that we that each of us depends upon everything else in the system yeah. and and therefore if things go bad it goes bad in many ways yeah. um, and there is a tendency or a desire and even a justification 
for locality or localization, you know, having local autonomy, which mm-hmm. creates, um, which does two things. It allows the diversity, which is actually increasing, yeah. of local values and their um, manifestations and behavioral choices and so on to be realized. Um, it also supports more robustness of the system. Mm-hmm. But we cannot avoid the global interdependence. And so we also have to find the ways that we can, in some sense, get together (laughs) and cope with our global um, issues. Yeah, yeah, I think... Cryptocurrency is vibrant and exciting, but it's not without its share of bad actors. Exchanges and personal accounts can get hacked, computers can be infected with malware, Left unprotected, your digital wealth is up for grabs. Don't let yourself be a victim. Keepy is the safest and simplest way to protect your Bitcoin, Ether, Litecoin, and other tokenized assets. This hardware wallet is a separate device that you control. Brought to you by the pioneering team at Shapeshift, Keepy works with the wallet software on your computer to manage your private keys and transactions. Your device is pin protected, which provides protection if it falls into the wrong hands. Its large display lets you carefully view and approve every transaction. And, if your keep key is ever lost or stolen, you can safely recover your device without compromising its private keys. The bottom line, you'll sleep easier knowing that your digital wealth is safe and secure. Visit KeepKey.com to order yours today and use the code HUMANIST10 for a limited time 10% discount. Um, I, I think about that as like kind of a bimodal distribution where you say you want to have lots of local stuff happening and you also, you can't just only do the local stuff. You also need to think on the global level. Um, I think what you're saying here too, with the diversity piece, um, Scott Page wrote a book recently about how diversity, I haven't actually read it, but how diversity is, um, is helpful to make essentially anti-fragile systems where you say, Hey, you need, it's kind of obvious the moment you think about it, you're like, look, it's not like. We want diversity of power and different people having different amounts of power because, like, to make them feel good. It's like, well, that's part of it. Like, um, but part of it is like, hey, it's very helpful for the macro human organism to make sure that we have, you know, pretty different viewpoints coming at different things um, and not just, like, essentially a bunch of, you know, classic rich white Western dudes doing it again or whatever. Yeah. That could be uh, an issue from a macro systemic perspective. I think that it's... It's very difficult in the value system that emphasizes individuality (laughs) and individual differences to understand that this is a multi-scale phenomenon. (laughs) And when you do it at the multi-scale level, it may be that parts of the system will have conformity and uniformity as part of their values, (laughs) not just individual differences. And so it's... It's kind of this paradoxically both again, you know, the complex systems is again intellectually delightful (laughs) in showing us that um, paradoxes and seemingly logical contradictions are actually not logically (laughs) contradicting each other. You know, there's there's no contradiction through the coexistence of things. And and so we have to, you know, understand that there's it, it's a different statement to say that individuals should be different and to say that we can also allow for groups to be different. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And somehow we have to do and enable both. Yeah, I think that's powerful. I think the way that I think about that is um, within this Ethereum Commons thing that I'm started 
it's purely just a meme and uses the meme as an institutional vehicle or organizational technology and using memes is kind of weird because you're like, well, they have to be kind of permissionless or whatever. And so in one part was like, does the meme have a, does it have values behind it? And one of the values was decentralization. And that meme of decentralization is both true, especially within the blockchain crypto world, but is also by being de- by saying that the values are decentralized, it's kind of a weird self-referential thing that says, hey, what this is a value, but also if you want to have a different version, um, we don't want homogeneity. So like it's this weird this paradox as well. And thinking from this paradox perspective, I think that there is the powerful way that I think about this is when people talk in terms of binaries or paradoxes or contradictions or whatever, you say, actually, these things are like a gradient and you can then have synthesis among the two, these two ends and to kind of go up to that third level. Um, and, and then usually the synthesis perspective is a very powerful one. Yeah. Right. But synthesis again <laughs> yeah. is, uh, you know, you still have to face the contradiction right? yeah, because yeah, it constrains. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, and and that's where understanding the nature of the interplay between mm-hmm. independence and autonomy and all of those things are related mm-hmm. to dependence and and collective behaviors mm-hmm. and so on. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, this is where traditional ideological approaches fail mm-hmm. because they are proponents. Mm-hmm that are not recognizing the rich interplay between these issues. Yep, yep, I agree. So let's let's kind of transition to, I think what a lot of people think of when they think of like classic, and we haven't talked about it too much right now, is like when I think of classic systems thinking, or like, you know, Don, Don, Daniela Meadows thinking in systems. She's so when you mentioned, let me just say, yeah. you mentioned system dynamics. Yeah. System dynamics is a specific mathematical and conceptual mm-hmm. approach mm-hmm. so um, uh-huh. uh, it just it's it's I mean you can you the terminology in yeah. the way it's used technically so it's yeah. it's different from for example agent-based modeling or network modeling uh-huh. or 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 fractals mm-hmm. or, you know or scaling behaviors or mm-hmm. many other sort of specific mathematical mm-hmm. representations yeah um, that are all sort of within the framework of how do we advance our thinking beyond yep. the traditional ones. Interesting. Yep. So that makes sense. And I definitely did not know that clearly. I just kind of group it all in one bucket, but that's okay. <laughs> false, obviously. That's right. Um, is there, when I do think though about, so some of these like, um, you know, reinforcing and balancing, uh, systems and kind of, you know, uh, you know, fl- stocks and flows, I kind of think about that on one end and then something like agent-based modeling, perhaps not necessarily on two ends of a spectrum, but those is kind of two primary ways to view the world from a systems perspective. Would you agree with that or would you add, would you, I mean, you have a lot more texture around these fractal-based modelings or the mathematical approaches like complex dynamics. So I think I just mostly gave the answer. In other words, yep. the system dynamics modeling is what one would call an aggregate modeling approach, okay. whereas the agent-based modeling is a, you know, bottom-up approach. Mm-hmm. But, but that's only a first, um, you know, statement about it. Each of them is much richer in its uh, nature, mm-hmm. and I think the, the, the better way to think about it is that yep. they are tools. Yep. 
in a toolbox that is now much richer mm -hmm. than calculus and statistics. Mm -hmm. And um, my approach tends to be agnostic about which tool to use. Yeah. Uh, instead, I see the challenge as being identifying what the mathematical representation is that we need in order to capture the essential behavioral attributes of the system. Yeah. And um, using that approach is an approach that's geared at answering questions rather than sort of saying, I have a tool, what can I do with it? <laughs> yeah, 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 that makes sense. Um, where, and I think of that as kind of like a poll-based system. So you're saying, hey, what is, look at the world, look at the context, ah, given this question, um, which tool should I use to answer that question? That's right. And any, any real problem that you face ultimately is like building a building. So you're not going to be able to build a building with one tool. It just doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> um, so thinking about kind of applying these, we've talked about this a bit um, already, but how do you see when you come from your, like, you know, the, we're just going to call it a systems perspective, um, including all of these different tool sets, um, you know, and I've, you know, we were talking beforehand about, the kind of increasing rate of change and, and things, you know, whiplash and acceleration and jerk and, and how this might create a world in which uh, there's more kind of fragility in the system. Is that where you see us as humanity headed? Or where do you, when you kind of put on your hat for like, ooh, what's going to happen? What, what, what emerges from that? Well, the, the positive statement is already surprising. Mm-hmm which is that somehow we are creating contexts and organizations that are more complex than individuals. And yeah. you might think that that's trivial because, hey, you bring a bunch of organisms together, surely the collective is more complex mm -hmm. than the individuals, but that's actually not true, mm -hmm. right? I mean, um, if you look at the Earth as an object orbiting the sun, it's not more complex than the pieces that are on it. And if you look at a flock of sheep or an insect colony, mm -hmm. there's really no... Uh, um, it doesn't work that way, that yep. they create something more complex. But people are doing it. Yep. Um, and in some sense, because people are doing it, you already have to say we're successful. Mm -hmm. And if we're successful, then the model that one should use is a model of a complex organism. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, we are, in some sense, a, a like at the collective scale, like a global civilization is like an animal yeah. um, that we are cells of. Mm -hmm. And uh, the fact that that's happening is a statement of success. Now, of course, you know, organisms die. They, 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 but, but, but there is a strong uh, likelihood, I would say, mm -hmm. uh, even um, uh, uh, great likelihood, that if we've gotten this far, we mm -hmm. will go through this transition, mm -hmm. and on the other end of it, we will have um, a more, um, let's call it peaceful, if you will, mm -hmm. yeah. um, a, a more... Um, uh, fit behavior between the individual and the collective mm -hmm. and in that context um, uh, perhaps the uh, it will be easily apparent that mm -hmm. we've in fact coalesced into this uh, global organism I, I would guess so 
even though uh, our ability to understand what's going on is going to be uh, limited mm -hmm. by the fact that our complexity is not as great as the complexity of the whole, our as individuals complexity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so, so that I think is the model. And I think that um, I would be optimistic, mm -hmm. but at the same time, you know, the transition and all of its challenges is something that we have to engage with by definition. Yeah, yeah. We are it. We are the transition. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's kind of uh, one of my friends was uh, relating it to like a forced move in chess where it's like, look, we got to do it. It's happening. It's <laughs> it's like, yeah, we got to do it. <laughs> yeah. We, you might think that another choice might be better, but you don't have that choice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Okay, cool. So that's so general optimism. That's good. I like optimism in the world. Um, do you think, so now kind of putting on that same hat and applying it to blockchain and crypto, and I know that that's, it's not most of your day job or anything, but what do you, when you kind of put your systems hat on and look at what's happening within these blockchain and crypto financial systems, what, what, do you, what is weird or what do you see? So first of all, I would say that I appreciate and I think it's important that they are realizing some of the sort of basic concepts of complex systems, right? They're distributed and they're, um, uh, and, 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 and that's uh, an important part of thinking about what we need or what we might benefit from in enabling technologies, which is what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, at the same time, uh, I think that understanding the ways in which collective behaviors happen is important and is not always appreciated in a technologically driven mm -hmm. discussion. Mm -hmm. Collective behaviors are neither good nor bad. They are collective. Mm -hmm. And whether they are better or worse than something else is subject to discussion. And um, let me take a small example. Yep. Um, it's not small. It's a big example mm -hmm. and talk about the issue of you know, Bitcoin and currencies yep. and how that works. Um, uh, the dissociation of currency from... A regulatory mechanism which yep. seems like a good thing <laughs> also makes it non-adaptive <laughs> um, and uh, we have a recent paper where we talk about the limitation of Federal Reserve Bank regulation of currency mm -hmm. pointing to the fact that we actually need two-dimensional regulation rather than one-dimensional mm -hmm. regulation in order to make economic regulation work and in this context, you're basically going to a zero-dimensional regulation <laughs> system. And so I would argue that we do really need to understand the relationship between the complexity of the system and the challenge that it's facing, whether it's technological or otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, and the other side of the technology is, again, we have this love of technology yes. that is... Uh, you know, almost a rapture, right? Yeah. Uh, we, hey, we yeah. can do this stuff. Yeah. And that's true whether you're talking about biotechnology or about, uh, you know, new crypto mm -hmm. uh, opportunities. Yeah. Um, 
but ultimately the system um, is human. Mm-hmm. It is a combined human technological system. Yep. And um, we often don't appreciate that it is the combination of the two. And so whether or not a particular technology is going to be the right framework is going to depend upon how it successfully either enables, facilitates, Mm -hmm. or becomes part of. It's like, you know, you have, we can talk about the importance of your bones because of their unique physical properties, Mm -hmm. Uh, but if you connected the bones to each other without cartilage and joints Mm -hmm. and the appropriate interfaces to, to muscles, uh, you wouldn't be able to do very much. Yeah. So we, we really need to understand how socio-technological systems work. Yeah. And, and, and so my focus tends to be more on the human transformation side. Yeah. But again, I can't think about that without reference to the technology. Yeah. And similarly, the technology should be understood in relation to the human, yeah, the human element. So, yeah, yeah. I think um, element. Right? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I'm a huge fan of this stuff. The the tech, how technology informs society, how society informs technology. Uh, you, what do you call it? Socio technical, socio technological systems. Um, I feel like on that first point, the regulation. <laughs> um, you could either claim that it is a zero-dimensional system, though I think you might be able to claim, and I think that this would be my longer-term claim, that we will transition into a period of self, some kind of um, organic bottom-up self-regulation, which is like an in-dimensional regulatory system. Um, that would be my hope, hope for what happens. Maybe, yeah. and, you know, interesting. But remember that each system has to have its right regulatory structures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So N, where N is very large, may also not be the right answer. Mm-hmm. It may be part of the answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I agree. I, just, I guess from the perspective of the the law that you referenced earlier, um, Ashby's, yeah. Ashby's law, where the environment, the regulatory environment needs to match the complex. Like right now, and you can kind of see this, like the regulatory environment of uh, around cryptocurrencies is not really matching uh, the comp- complexity of cryptocurrencies. And right. so it's like, oh, God. How can we make something that... No, I, I'm not sure I understand. It is cryptocurrency that is not self-regulating or regulative mm-hmm. in relation to its social use. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. You're yeah. thinking about the regulatory environment in this context. Yeah. I'm thinking about it the other way. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but I understand what yeah. you're saying. Mm-hmm. But it is a challenge. Mm-hmm. I am quite sure that we will identify the <laughs> right technological pieces yes, yes. that will make this possible. Yes. Um, cool. Well, with that, we're pretty much out of time, but thank you again for the conversation. I guess, um, what is your... So people, A, if you're interested in, um, in systems of any type, um, whether they're complex di- system dynamics or agent-based modeling systems or whatever, um, you can go to, I think it's um, it's New England Complex Science Institute. Systems. Oh, Institute. Systems Institute. Sorry. Is it N-E-C-S-I dot E-D-U. Dot E-D-U. Okay, great. Um, and then what's your Twitter handle? It's just my name. So it's at Yanir Baryam, mm-hmm. written as one word, 
Great, and I'll I'll post it on the the my my Twitter and stuff as well, um, and the and the Medium post. Um, but um, yeah, so thank you so. And I guess there's also the summer classes that you guys do and all kinds of stuff. So definitely check it out if you're interested in uh, in systems. Uh, so thank you again for coming on today, Yanir. My pleasure, Ro. Great. Um, and by the way, listeners, if you want to support me, you can support me at patreon.com slash Rieslandmark. That's patreon.com slash R-H-Y-S-L-I-N-D-M-A-R-K. And you can also go to staketree.com slash Rieslandmark if you want to stake ETH. Okay, goodbye. Sweet. Sweet.